developments in the Middle East, developments on ballots here in the state of Michigan. Chris Renwick, good to have you. we got a lot to do today once again. Oh, and we also have, I believe, the congressional version of a wedgie taking place in Washington, D.C. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't look. I we'll get into it uh, coming up at two thirty-five. But you've got senators threatening to fight union leaders, and then we we touched a bit on it yesterday. One of the 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 Republican representatives in the House saying that Kevin McCarthy threw him an elbow when he was walking through the hall. I don't know what's going on, but it's really not a good look. We'll get into it. Uh, Meanwhile, in Israel, the IDF has launched a targeted operation against Hamas inside Gaza's largest hospital. Now, conditions at the Al-Shifa hospital have deteriorated rapidly in recent days, uh, according to officials amid intense fighting. Thousands of Palestinians are believed to be sheltered in that hospital, which is no longer considered operational because they've well, got no resources to run it as such. The Israeli Defense Forces also began a precise and targeting operation against Hamas in that specified area of the Shifa hospital. Meanwhile, you've got the FBI now saying once again today, and Director Christopher Ray to congressional leaders, that the Jewish community is being the targeted the most as threats have increased since October 7th. Ray told the House Homeland Security Committee, the number of tips and threats that are being reported to us have gone up significantly since October 7th. The biggest chunk of those threats have been reported to us by a good margin are threats to the Jewish community, synagogues, Jewish prominent officials, things like that. We do also have some threats to Muslim Americans that have also been called in. They also are tracking, according to Christopher Ray, a large number of tips and leads related specifically to Hamas and radicalization and recruitment attempts. Huh. Well, if they're just a good old government agency, why are they trying to radicalize people? Oh, that's right, because they're terrorists. And this is this is one of the big keys that need to be addressed. When you are one of the main intelligence officials in this country, it is absolutely paramount that not only are you keeping an eye out for credible threats or threats that may not be credible, but but threats that need to be addressed, but you also have to be, be careful of the radicalization. And we have seen that through terrorist groups all around the world. And certainly this is no different, at least according to the FBI and the United States government. Uh, Meanwhile, U.S. defense officials saying USS Thomas Hudner shot down a drone from Yemen in the Red Sea yesterday. Defense officials say the drone was shot down in self-defense because, according to the official, the drone was headed towards the Hudner. Now, unlike an incident last month, when a destroyer shot down multiple drones and missiles that were fired towards Israel. This was headed towards a a U.S. stalwart in the sea. And while it's not entirely clear who launched that drone, officials seem to be pointing to the Iranian-backed Houthis, 
who earlier this week threatened to attack ships in the Red Sea. So it was certainly all coming together. The incident follows the Houthi shooting down of a U.S. MQ-9 Reaper drone last week over the Red Sea. And, and this is where the Defense Department has pointed to, well, we also are firing back and launching rounds of retaliatory strikes on Iranian-backed groups in Syria that have attacked U.S. forces and bases in Iraq and Syria over the last month. So they are getting involved, but, but it is still certainly an issue. Uh, in the meantime, well, one of the things that we are watching closely, as workers at GM vote to ratify the new tentative deal between the UAW and General Motors, things do appear on track for a ratification, but it is very close and there are still facilities that are up for grabs. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us with the latest on the vote and what may be behind the thinking on some of these uh, votes that are being casted. Hi, Marie. Yeah, it's anyone's guess here, Chris, what's ultimately going to happen. A majority of UAW members at several major GM plants have voted against the pact, in most cases with a result of between 55 and 60, uh, 55, 4 and 60 against. So it is close. These facilities combined represent about 23,000 or half of GM's 46,000 union employees. Voting results at a number of the smaller GM facilities are not yet known or they're not finalized yet. Several small facilities as well as assembly plants in Michigan and Kansas, though, have voted in favor of this deal. As you know, this has been a historically long and contentious round of negotiations between the UAW and the Detroit automakers. GM was the last one to hammer out the deal with the union. Similar tentative deals, though, with Ford and Stellantis have thus far received higher vote approvals. Those are not done yet. They should be by the end of the week, but they're not done yet, but they look much better. If this deal goes down, what happens next? UAW President Sean Fain and other union leaders are going to have to decide how to proceed and secure a better deal for GM's workers. They could reinstate strikes against the automaker. In other words, just call a strike across the board at all GM plants or attempt to reopen negotiations or maybe both. It's not known what would happen. We haven't been able to really guess what Sean Fain has been uh, wanting to do all along. We don't think we're going to figure it out now. Uh, some long time. So why are voters uh, looking poorly at this? Well, some longtime workers say this new contract is heavily weighted to younger workers. You know, it got rid of all those tier um, pay issues, but it doesn't do enough, they say, at the top pay scale. Those folks are seeing inflation, Chris, eating away at their compensation, and they don't think they maybe got as good a deal as they should have. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, I mean, Sean Fain talked a big game, and, and I am of the belief that Sean Fain and UAW negotiators did some fine work. I mean, they got some really big items back for the rank and file, and, and they got huge wage increases. But what's interesting here, Marie, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is it, 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 worst case scenario, if the rank and file don't ratify this deal, that sends the UAW and GM back to the negotiating table. What happens? Are, are, well, are, the, are the rank and file going to be called back on strike? Are, I mean, you know, Sean Fain has said multiple times that he feels like he got every dime out of out of GM for this deal. Where where is the wiggle room here? 
Right. So um, that's what we don't know because we've been completely unable to predict any, any of, of this, this so yeah. far. But, um, you know, one of the things is, so would it, would the strike be like at every GM plant? Would every single worker mm-hmm. uh, be called on the line? And the other thing to remember is, and this was right on the UAW, uh, from one of the UAW members on their website, on their Facebook page, saying, look, if we go back to the bargaining table, it's not like we're going to negotiate from this deal forward right. we're you know we're going to have to go from the beginning right. and renegotiate so we might lose ground on some of these issues that we really like and then so ha- this is yeah this is really uh dangerous territory and unknown territory uh, uh by the way i just want to say it is not uh deals have been voted down in the past there's historical precedents for this uh they just they're just not quite as big a deal as they have been this year because of how this strike um unfolded well and the way that those strikes were 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 operated is they they targeted one company and right. and and negotiated with them and then built those deals around that deal this one, they, these were all three separate deals. So if the, if this GM goes back to the the square one, and they have to then try to find a path to a new tentative agreement, how does that impact the other deals that are on the table? There, there's a lot of unknowns, but but this vote I think is a lot closer than people expected. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. We got to take a break. Yesterday, a judge in Michigan ruled that Donald Trump will be on the ballot here in the state of Michigan. What kind of precedent does that set as other states are dealing with these types of court cases around the country? That's next on JR Afternoon. By the way, Chinese President Xi Jinping is in the United States today, in San Francisco, as a matter of fact. He and Joe Biden just shook hands at this very high stakes meeting. We're going to talk about it coming up in the three o'clock hour. But I just find it very interesting that a city that has such a homeless issue, for a city, I remember doing a story with, <laughs> a number of years ago with Frank Beckman, and the story was there was an app in San Francisco that you could track. Well, the 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 hmm, I'm not sure how to put it. The uh, the little presents that some of the homeless people leave around the city of San Francisco. Uh, I often find those same presents in Henry's diaper. Uh, I'm, I'm miraculously. Xi Jinping's in town. They were able to clean it all up. But on a normal Tuesday, nada. Can't keep the city clean. Interesting. Also, $2,000 a plate dinners at this high-stakes meeting tonight. We're going to talk about it because it's pretty remarkable. First time Xi Jinping is in the United States in six years. Uh, First time in a year that he and Joe Biden have met. In the meantime, a, a pretty consequential decision yesterday Uh, here in the state of Michigan that allows Donald Trump to remain on the presidential ballot should he not only become the nominee, but as he works through the primary system. Court of Claims Judge James Redford rejected arguments that claim Donald Trump is ineligible for the presidency uh, because of his role in the Capitol uh, riot on January 6th and uh, through the 14th Amendment. Robert Sedler is a distinguished professor of law emeritus at Wayne State University and joins us. Robert, it's great to have you. It's always a pleasure to be on. Uh, Why did Judge Redford reject these arguments in this case? He's clearly correct in doing so. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was adopted 
in the wake of the Civil War. It disqualified members of Congress, state officials, any person who had taken an oath under the Constitution, who then joined the Confederacy. The words used in Section 3, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Now, whatever Trump's speech was, it surely did not constitute an insurrection or rebellion. This is completely misplaced. It's an effort to use a constitutional provision that was never intended to apply to a speech. So Judge Redford is clearly correct in the decision. I think it's a spurious case, and no one could be a stronger opponent of Trump than I. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to be objective, and I think there is simply no validity whatsoever in that claim. It's not going to go anywhere. Robert Sedler, uh, distinguished professor of law emeritus at Wayne State University, joins us. Does this set any sort of precedent? And I know we're talking about different states here, but in Colorado, in Minnesota, there are similar efforts underway. Um, how do you see those cases playing out as well? Because it, it, it seems like if you read the stories, those are those have more legs in those states for some reason. I don't think so. Again, at some point in time, the court, a court, has to apply the term insurrection or rebellion. And I don't, I don't see any possible way of saying that Trump's speech, uh, whatever it was, qualified as an insurrection or rebellion. But the basic meaning of insurrection or rebellion is taking up arms against the United States or giving aid and comfort to the enemy. That's what the Confederacy did. It just has, the provision has no application uh, to the present time. Uh, Mark Brewer, uh, who is handling the, the, the lawsuit in this case, uh, of course, a former chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, Party, he's a member of the Democratic National Committee. He says that they'll appeal this ruling to uphold this critical constitutional provision designed to protect our republic. What are your thoughts on that? That's not the answer. The provision was designed to disqualify people who had engaged in the Civil War. Again, the word insurrection or rebellion. Now, whatever Trump's speech was, and I thought it was pretty, pretty strong, but it didn't qualify for insurrection or rebellion. This is simply taking a provision that had historical significance and that has no validity today. It's a spurious case, and I expect that every court will reject it. If, let's say, for example, the judge in Colorado or Minnesota decides that Donald Trump won't be uh, beyond the ballot, where does this go then forward? Is there a way that the Supreme Court rules on this at some point? Uh, if a state, it's a state, we start with a state court. So if a trial judge says that Trump is, can't be on the ballot, that would be appealed to a state appellate court. Okay. Uh, I can't picture any state appellate court upholding it. 
in that unlikely event that this would happen, the case, the parties could seek review in the Supreme Court because it does involve an interpretation of the Constitution. Mm. But, I, you know, I usually don't say things unequivocally, but I do so here. This case is not going to go anywhere. Trump is not going to be disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Is there anything in the Constitution, if, if by your estimation the 14th Amendment isn't it, that would prohibit Donald Trump from, from seeking office once again? No. Uh, the rule is a president can only serve two terms. Well, Trump has only served one term. We have a historical precedent for this. This was in the election of 1884. The Democratic candidate, Grover Cleveland, defeated the Republican candidate, Benjamin Harrison. In 1888, Harrison defeated Cleveland. In 1992, Cleveland defeated Harrison. And so, assuming that Trump is going to get the Republican nomination and that Biden is going to get the Democratic nomination, we will have a repeat of the third match between those two presidents. Well, it's an interesting case and uh, and one that we're going to continue to follow. But uh, I I suppose you've sold me. It's not a surprise that he's able to stay on the ba- ballot. Robert no, Sedler. Not- not at all. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and insight as always. Call anytime. Yeah, nice you, talking you to got you. it. That's Robert Sedler, the distinguished professor of law emeritus at Wayne State University. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Because here in Michigan, while maybe this isn't a surprise, and as Robert Sedler said, that that the judge in this case acted appropriately, you've got the Mark Brewers out in the world fanning the flames. And and look for Donald Trump to say, well, these are political hit jobs. Mark Brewer is a former chair of the Michigan Democrat Party. He's a member of the Democratic National Committee. He says that they're going to appeal this case to uphold this critical constitutional provision designed to protect our republic. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Uh, if you want to weigh in on that, are you surprised? Are you are you not surprised? Because it, for me, I'm not surprised here in the state of Michigan. But again, these cases out in, Colo- or in, in Colorado, in Minnesota, they do have a different vibe. They have a different tenor. So are you worried about those cases and, and potentially the ramifications of those? 800-859-0957. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about some of the shenanigans that are unfolding in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. I'm not sure I, I quite understand it. We'll get to your calls, your texts as well right here on WJR. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. Good to have you. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Wrapping about a couple of things. One, Donald Trump in the state of Michigan at least had a, had a W on one front, and that is that he will be on the ballot according to to Judge James Redford in the Court of Claims. So, uh, it's good news for Donald Trump here in the state of Michigan. Closing arguments today are happening in Colorado, and the case in Minnesota continues to linger as well. And Donald Trump has maintained for some time that these cases against him 
are purely political. And if you listen to Robert Sedler out of Wayne State University, who who we talked to a couple of moments ago, if you missed that conversation, thegreatvoice.com. No, the, the, the 14th Amendment in its in its application, according to some, is not appropriate. It's it is a scapegoat to try to take down Donald Trump. <laughs> and Robert Sedler reminded us that he's not a Donald Trump fan. But this is this is not a proper application of the 14th Amendment. Also, the, the, the situations that continue to develop overseas in in Israel and in in Gaza. Because IDF forces have focused in uh, in on uh, a hospital area where uh, Hamas has set up operations underneath and in and around the hospital. So they have launched targeted operations against Hamas. And Christopher Wray, the FBI director, told Congress today that the FBI is seeing a significant increase in threats since October 7th, with a vast majority of those threats being made to the Jewish community. 800-859-0957. Let's go to Vince in Northville. Hello, Vince. Hey, how you doing, bud? I'm good. All right, here you go. I don't know about you, but I was never I never took a hate Jew class in school when I was growing uh, up. Hold okay? on. Let me check my notes. Did you did you ever take Neither a class? did I. Nope, nope. It's, really? I didn't okay, have I it. I didn't have that course either. Okay, I was just checking because this is what I'm trying to understand, okay? Um, I've been around for a while, okay, and I don't understand. And if there's a racist out there listening to WJR right now, I want you to call in, and I want you to explain to me yeah, please don't. and in detail <laughs> why a Jew is so hated. Is it because they're smarter than everybody else, they're better looking, they're better business people? I don't get it, man. I have never seen so much hatred for one group of people in all my life. I mean, I, I just don't get it. Somebody needs to educate me, okay, because I don't get the hatred. All right, Vince, can I give you maybe just my take on it? And, and this is just Help from, me out, please. This is, just, me about. this is just from what I've read. So if you go back to Hitler and, okay. and when he, he lived in Vienna, and in Vienna, there was uh, in the mayor of the town that he lived in, okay. um, the, the the mayor hated Jews, and okay. so that was absorbed into Hitler. Then okay. he went on to fight in World War One, and and other soldiers couldn't come to grips with the fact that Germany lost, and so they had to find a scapegoat. And so others like Hitler peddled this theory that it was that it was the Jews that that had to have some nefarious action to defeat. The mighty Germany, there's no way they could have lost on the battlefield. And that's where the idea was was born, as I understand it. Right. But now we understand from history that Hitler was the most incarnate next. I mean, I'm, all right, I'm going to put Hitler and Hamas. I'm going to group them together. OK, anytime a group of people the show's taking babies, a weird turn. <laughs> yeah, I know. All but right, anytime, it's... anytime, anytime a group of people, you know, chop babies out of mothers. And you've got Hitler putting people in gas chambers. I think it's safe to say we can put them in the same category. Okay. Can you agree to that? I'll allow it. Okay, thank you very much. So in, in that situation, being a man that killed, you know, 10 million human beings, I mean, don't you think we need to, like, stop it? Yeah, you'd I think. Mean, the hatred, Vin, Vin, Vince, I mean, the Look, it, I don't know where we're at with this. I mean, I don't know how we're still dealing with this. It, it is – it. This is what I can't understand. And Vince, I appreciate the call. For me, what I don't understand is how people look at what happened on October 7th and go, ah, it's their fault. That's the, that's the, the, the thing that I can't wrap my head around. I do not get it. 
And I don't, I don't know that anybody can explain it to me because, I mean, there are polls out now that show that the support of Israel, of people in the United States, the views of, of the actions of Israel now have gone too far, which is, it, it, it's stunning because this has only been a little over a month ago and how soon we forget. Uh, David's in Detroit. What's up, Dave? Hey, just uh, checking on this uh, this court ruling. I'm not surprised, but you know, I really have to to wonder what does this say about folks on the other side that are pushing this narrative that we know is bogus, right? And not just on the Democrat side, but some of the folks that are foaming at the mouth in the media that would love to see Trump kicked off these ballots. They just have this seething. Donald Trump forever hatred in their hearts, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, at what point do we start to think, well, gee, maybe January 6th, maybe there was more to what we saw than met the eye. Maybe there was more than just Ray Epps. Maybe there was some involvement on the inside to make the crowd look bad. Maybe this really wasn't what they are selling to us um, in order to get rid of a political opponent. And, And what does this say about Mark Brewer? I mean, I've met the guy several times, and mm-hmm. I know Mark's about Mark. <laughs> he always has been. And, and I know that there's a fundraising opportunity in all of this. I just think that at some point, politics is politics, and it's been around forever. You, you've seen it. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But when it really starts to affect people's lives detrimentally, and, and not just the story or the narrative, but by virtue of the fact that through all of this lying the public is persuaded in voting for somebody they might not have voted for, for, and now we're getting policies that are actually hurting people. And I just, I got to tell you, that's, to me, that's pretty sinister. I'm not going to use the word evil because it gets overused, but that's really, it's really kind of dark, don't you think? Yeah, David, I appreciate the call. I mean, for me, it's, this is, I, I try to operate in the here and now as much as possible. And yes, there are some things that happen that, that we're not privy to, right? There are discussions that happen way above my head that are that are being talked about, about X, Y, and Z and how we navigate this or what's the contingency plan if that. I, I don't have any doubt that those things happen. But in the here and now, if if you're trying to use a provision in the Constitution as a, as a way to eliminate a political rival while facing a whole boatload of of charges and indictments. I mean, boy, the, 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 I think from some, it's the lengths that some will go to to keep Donald Trump out of office. It, it is pretty incredible. I appreciate the call. All right, I want to get to this. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I want to play the audio. So this is from yesterday. Uh, a congressional hearing between um, uh, House Republicans or, or House members and union members, one that uh, Sean Fain was at. But there was a, an interaction between Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma and, or excuse me, I said the House, I meant the Senate. This happened in the Senate. Mark Wayne Mullen, who's a senator out of Oklahoma, brought up old text messages that Sean O'Brien had been sending him. Yes, Sean O'Brien, the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. And I want to play you this audio because it is something else. Quick the tough guy act in these senate hearings you know where to find me any place any time these are the texts from o'brien Sir, to this is a time this is a place you want to run your mouth we can be two consenting adults we can finish it here okay that's fine perfect you want to do it now i'd love to do it right now well stand your butt up then you stand your butt up oh hold on oh, hold, stop it 
Is that your Pardon. solution, every public? No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. No, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond, Mr. Hold Chairman? it. Hold it. If Hold we can't, no, I have the mic. I'm sorry. This is Hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have, and you have I don't like you because you just described yourself. Hold it. What's happening? What is happening in Washington, D.C.? You know what it reminds me of? I said, come down here and see what happens if you try to hit me. Such an idiot. Let me see what your best move is. It's Napoleon Dynamite unfolding between people who make $170,000 a year. Okay, look, if you want to argue Joe Biden, the optics, if that makes us look strong, weak, have at it. But this is nonsense. It's nonsense. You have one of the eight Republicans who helped oust Kevin McCarthy claiming that, well, he came by and gave me the old, uh, uh, the, 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 the elbow on his way past. And he's chasing him down like he's going to what? Give him a swirly? This is unbelievable. I, I, the, the, the level of Ed, Bernie Sanders, how about him stepping in in the old uh, striped shirt? Bernie's playing referee here. I mean, this is one of those situations where we are, we live in an upside down world. I don't know what is going on, but I, I can't make this up. Yes. The writers are off strike, but nobody wrote this. This is for real. Uh, we got to take a break. We're coming up next. We're going to talk GM UAW and this effort to ratify the tentative agreement. It's much closer than people expected. That's next on JR afternoon. So yesterday, things were not trending in a positive direction. This morning, things didn't seem to be trending in a positive direction. But there does seem to be a a bit of a shift in the tide in the way that rank-and-file GM UAW workers are voting on this tentative deal. Is this on track to pass? Brianna Noble is a reporter with the Detroit News and joins us. Brianna, good to have you. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Where do we stand on this vote this hour? Yeah, so right now, according to our tracker, and we're trying to get all of the results from the local UAWs as they're um, becoming available, we have it at less than a 2,000 vote spread between the yes and no's. Currently, the yeses are are leading. Um, there was a major uh, win for the tentative agreement from Arlington Assembly Plants results today. They're a big uh large full-size SUV plant in Texas, um, even as we saw the truck plant in Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, and Wentzville assembly plant in uh, Missouri cast no votes. Um, so right now we are seeing uh, results in the black, and for the most part, it appears that um, the parts distribution centers are some of the kind of final um locals that will be casting their ballots on this uh, tentative agreement. And given that those locations um, see some significant gains in this agreement, there's some positive feelings that this is going to get through, but it's going to come back to that that last minute, those final votes, every vote's going to count in this, it looks like. 
Have you heard from any UAW uh, top brass about their 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 feelings on this? Are they worried that this isn't going to get done? Are they are they confident that they're going to squeak by by the skin of their teeth? Where where are they at? Do you know? You know, the UAW has been pretty quiet about the um, you know the state of the the vote totals. Um, the leadership I know have been said that this is ultimately the members are you know the highest voices of in this union and so it's up to them i'm sure there's a little bit of of nervousness seeing those results in you know we saw sean fang go to facebook live early on when we first saw a few no um, results at some of the gm locals last week and and certainly the UAW leadership is is going around ahead and have have been across the country visiting regions and and locals and explaining what are the gains that were achieved and answering questions about this deal. So I think there's uh, there are a lot of questions that I have, but but the first question that that I think comes to mind in many people's mind is why why are they voting against this in in such numbers? Yeah, that's a great question, um, especially because we're seeing uh, things be supported. It looks like Ford's on definitely on a trajectory to getting this passed. Um, and, I, you know, we're hearing a lot from especially workers who have been with the GM for longer. Um, these kind of agreements include a lot of gains for supplemental and temporary workers and um, in progression workers and, and just workers who are a little bit newer and so legacy workers you know who have been around it for a longer time they went years between 2007 and 2015 without seeing raises so i think if talking to a lot of them you know they talk about 25 percent wage increase that sounds like a great number but they think they would like to see some of that those dollars sooner mm. the Agreement includes an immediate 11% increase. You know, we're hearing that. I spoke with one worker who said, you know, they would maybe prefer to see like a 15% immediate increase. Well, the danger here, I think, then, too, is, again, or I, I feel like we're kind of operating in the unknown because this the way that the UAW conducted the strike was so uh, radical in the sense that we had never seen it before and so new Um I think going forward, if this thing falls, where do they stand? Are they are they going to have to go back to GM and the negotiating table and start from square one? Are they going to work off the the, ta- the 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 tail end of this deal? Where does that leave us? Yeah, if this doesn't go through, obviously that would be something that we have not seen at least in modern history, potentially ever. And so, um, you know, I think the union kind of gave indications that if. We don't see a ratification that they could go back out on strike and certainly back at the negotiating table. I think, you know, probably through these conversations, they've heard kind of some of the specific concerns that they um, from the auto workers that they might be able to would be able to like go back to the company mm-hmm. to specifically address in order to get it through. But we'll see how how things shake out um, through this evening and, and tomorrow as well. Uh, how many locations still are are yet to report their numbers? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head all of the, the quite the number of um, locations that were, are still left. They're definitely dwindling. And like I mentioned, a lot of these are these parts distribution centers. So definitely smaller locals, not quite as many workers and 
those workers, you know, had previously been capped at a lower um, top wage than, say, the workers at assembly plants. And so by bringing up that those wages, those workers are expected to see some larger gains than maybe some of the other workers um, who would be a part of these kinds of agreements. So um, the expectation is that we could see sort of more positive results at those locations. But you said as of as of this moment, the votes to ratify are up by about 2,000? Uh, yeah, a little okay. bit less than 2,000. Wow, so it's it's still razor According thin. According to our tracker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, yeah, you can follow it at all on our website. All right, uh, very good. Uh, Brandon Noble, thank you so much. Appreciate the insight as always. Thank you. Yep, you got it. Uh, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. If you're, a, if you're a union GM worker, if you voted, if you haven't voted yet, I, I'd love to hear from you. Because I, I think that while you always want more, right, I think it's fair for workers to always want more. I don't think that ever goes away. But when you consider the types of gains that Sean Fain was was able to squeeze out of these automakers, Sean Fain and the UAW negotiators. Um, I, I To me, I think that's really good work by the UAW. I think they did a lot for, for the rank and file. Now, I mean, Sean Fain promised a lot, or he they were really shooting for the stars. Did he get that far? Maybe not for some folks. But is that a reason to turn down the deal when you're talking about, according to Sean Fain, record gains? 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Got to take a break, make way for news. Come back for more right here on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you. I, I do want to start here with, with some some positive news for you. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is hitting the road with the Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more, and you could see him at the tour stop of your choice. Rock out at the Capitol for Christmas, party in New Orleans, or find warmer weather in Orlando. You pick. One winner will score two tickets to their Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert of choice. You get round-trip airfare, three nights hotel, plus a $1,000 gift card for your holiday shopping. Prize provided by Wild Child Touring to enter Texas Hours National Keyword Medal to 95819. For full details, official rules, visit WJR.com. Um, we are going to break down this meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden today. Uh, the Chinese president in San Francisco to meet with the president. We'll get to that coming up momentarily. We'll do that at 318. Uh, also, wrapping about the UAW. Numbers are rolling in. It is very, very tight as GM works its way through the ratification vote of the rank and file. And the contract is is winning currently, but there are still some outstanding facilities that need to cast their votes. And the worry here and the kind of the uncharted waters that we're in is, I, I mean, for me, I always take a little bit of a worst case scenario only for planning purposes, right? So, if this vote doesn't get through, if it's so tight and so narrow that it's not going to get through, well, then where do we go from there? Does the UAW send all their GM workers out on strike? Do they do they strike GM as a whole? Do they get back to the negotiating table and, and start bargaining from zero? Or do they start bargaining from the current deal that, that didn't get passed? I mean, 
This was a six-week, seven-week strike. And negotiators were, were, were back and forth on a number of hotly contested line items. So if we have to start this thing again, I mean, my goodness, that would be that would be really difficult. So that is up in the air currently between this tentative agreement that the UAW struck with General Motors and the rank and file as they vote to ratify or not. And again, why, why are why are UAW members voting against it? I, I again, I would love to hear from you. And, and I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent how you vote, but I do think it's interesting when Sean Fain has gone out and touted this as some record deal, and in the end, the rank and file is going to, would could potentially vote it down. I think it's very interesting, because I think the UAW did some really good work on behalf of their membership. And, and Sean Fain has said it multiple times that they were able to squeeze these companies for every dime that they had. So it'll be just interesting to see how this thing plays out over the next couple of days and, and hours, certainly. Uh, meanwhile, Israel says they launched a targeted operation against Hamas early today inside Gaza's largest hospital, the Al-Shif Hospital. Uh, they say that the, the conditions in that hospital have deteriorated rapidly as fighting continues. Thousands of Palestinians are believed to be sheltering in that hospital. Um, there are no resources, so it's not actually being used as a hospital currently. Uh, meanwhile, you've got the FBI coming out in the way of Christopher Ray and telling Congress today that the Jewish community is being targeted the most, saying that the number of tips and threats that are being reported to us have gone up significantly since October 7th. And the biggest chunk of those threats have been reported by and pointed to the Jewish community, synagogues, Jewish officials. People and things like that, according to Christopher Ray. Um, he also said that the FBI has received a large number of tips and leads related specifically to Hamas radicalizing and trying to recruit people here in the United States, which is obviously a, a, a huge concern for for people uh, who are potentially sympathizing with the actions and the decisions of a terrorist group like Hamas. 800-859-0957. Let's go to Frank and Hillsdale real quick. I want to try to squeeze Frank in. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey. You know, I looked around and I looked and I got a friend who sells cars for a living. And he's mm -hmm. quite a bit concerned with the interest rates at the, what they are, the amount of uh, inventory that they're holding. There was a time when people would come in and, and they looked at the price. Yeah, they, they said it's expensive. But all you got to do is let me be able to make that payment. Sure. You know, fit me in so I can make the payment. Sure. When you look at these $80,000 trucks, $50,000 cars, you know, sometimes I wonder if the big three themselves, you know, they want to make a profit for their stockholders. But it makes me wonder, do are they really excited about getting these people back to work just so down the road that we're going to have to lay them all off? Well, Frank, I think there's, well, a, there's a certain element of a production bubble. And when you're on strike for an extended period of time, like the big three were, there, you're, you are going to see a production bubble. So while you may have cars at your nearby dealership or where your son sells, um, eventually that, that supply will wear down. And so that's why it's important to get, get these these folks back to work, not only for them economically, but for the companies to continue to build. It, it's very important. So, no, I, I, I uh, these companies want to get back to work as soon as possible. Uh, appreciate the call, Frank. Uh, meanwhile, if you live uh, 
any any if you anywhere in this society you, you talk to people about politics or religion it gets heated or it can get heated um but how about self checkouts people have very very strong opinions on self checkouts at your grocery store and chances are if you have these conversations you'll get an earful from somebody well it turns out some big box retailers are rethinking their self checkout lanes because of customers backlash to them. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us with that story. Hello, Marie. So we are talking about Walmart and Costco here specifically. They're the ones that are really taking a look at this self-checkout thing. It turns out that companies have spent a lot of money on research to find out how customers are dealing with self-checkouts. And let's just say it's not going very well, mostly because uh, these self-checkouts seem to be pinching the bottom line for these retailers. They have found that self-checkouts lead to higher merchandise losses from customer errors and intentional shoplifting, and that human cashiers ringing up customers would be much better for the bottom line. One study of retailers uh, in the United States, Britain, and other European countries found that companies with self-checkout lanes and apps had a loss rate of about 4%, and that's double the industry average. Sometimes customers are confused about how to ring up a purchase. Some products have multiple barcodes or barcodes that don't scan properly with self, uh, the self-checkout technology. Produce, we're looking at fruit and meat, typically needs to be weighed and then manually entered into the system. That causes confusion. If you buy booze, someone automatically has to come over to your lane to make sure that you're the right age to buy it. Walmart removed self-checkout machines at some stores in New Mexico earlier this year because of this. ShopRite pulled them at their Delaware stores after customer complaints got so bad. Uh, Wegmans last year ended this mobile app that allowed customers to scan, bag, and pay for their groceries while they were walking around in the store. Costco says it's adding more staff at these self-checkout areas after it found out that non-members were sneaking in and using membership cards that did not belong to them Mm. at the self-checkout. Very interesting. I've noticed that at Costco actually recently. More people are in the, the, more workers are patrolling the self-checkout area. I mean, for me, my, my opinion has changed over these on years. I used to hate them. I love them now because I can get in and out much quicker. But, but I, I see from a company perspective, if they're losing money, that can be a real oh, problem. Yeah. yeah. That's that. Re- I mean, they don't like customer complaints, of course, but the real thing is when it starts biting into their bottom line, you're talking, they found out this loss rate at 4%. That's double the industry average. That's huge. Oh, they're not, they're not going to want that. No. Yeah. And, and the, and the, the, the complaints maybe have changed over the years, right? I don't want to do this. You, this is what you're here for. You do this for and it's like, okay, that's fine. And and people may still feel that way. But yeah, when once exactly as you said it, once you start getting into that bottom line and, and affecting the the dollars and cents that they're bringing in, mm-hmm. it's not going to do it. And and is the is the the answer well then just hire more people and open those registers back up? Yeah, that's mm. you know, that's what they have to figure out. Is that the is that what they need to do? And how much is that going to cost as opposed to keeping up with these um automated uh or these self checkout things? So um yeah, this is a real but I love that whenever you bring this up, people just love to talk about this and they do have very strong opinions about this. Yeah, and and you know, these companies might be getting back into the market of well, good luck hiring people. 
that want, that are going to oh. do these jobs because that could be a, a whole other ball of wax. Marie Osborne, good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up next, Xi Jinping is in the country. Yes, he's in San Francisco meeting with Joe Biden. And boy, oh boy, the pageantry leading up to this and surrounding this meeting is something else. We'll talk about it next right here on JR Afternoon. There is no detail too small. That's according to Kurt Campbell, the White House coordinator for the Indo-Pacific, who talked to NBC News yeah, this uh, meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden is, it's its a bit of a spectacle. You're talking about a $2,000 per plate dinner with some of the most powerful business executives in America tonight. Uh, you've got a, a cleaning up of San Francisco, which I guess all it took was to get Xi Jinping here. If, if that's all it took to get somebody to hose down what's been floating around the streets of, of San Fran, I, I maybe he should come a little more often because that town could use a cleanup. Um, there is word that there are uh, children being bussed in or shipped in to the San Francisco area to line the route where Xi Jinping is traveling, waving Chinese flags. And, and this is all very much optics, for for the Chinese and for Xi Jinping. And nothing can go wrong, according to officials. Everything has to be 100% perfect. And uh, there was uh, Victor Cha, who's a former national security advisor for Asian Affairs, uh, telling NBC News that the goal here is for Xi to be treated like an emperor. And anything short of that is embarrassing and is absolutely the worst thing that can happen. For them, Benjamin Friedman is a policy director at Defense Priorities and joins us. Uh, Benjamin, good to have you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, first of all, talk to me about why the optics are so important here for Ping. Well, I, I'm not sure exactly what what's going on with uh, whether or not they're busing kids in or uh, the Chinese are organizing through their own uh, network, uh, some kind of, uh, cheer section for him. But yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, like other dictators who come to the United States, uh, he likes to have, uh, friendly faces waving at him. And I suppose that's, uh, what's happening in San Francisco. I, I, I think, uh, for what you were just saying, it would be great to get she in uh, DC one of these days so we could get, uh, downtown spiffed up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, uh, we, there's a bunch of places around the country that could get a little, could see a little, uh, yeah. freshen up. Um, these two have a lot to talk about. Where do you think they start? Well, uh, you know, the U.S. has an agenda which has been publicized a bit, which you know starts with uh, military to military cooperation. They've leaked uh, by the Biden administration wants to resume uh, high-level military to military uh, connections. Uh, there was uh, news today uh, that they're coming to an agreement uh, around uh, not putting. Uh, AI in uh, nuclear command and control and other uh, automated weapons like drones. So, you know, you have a human in the loop. Uh, I'm not sure um, how real that agreement will be, whether it'll be sort of a glorified press release or some real uh, treaty uh, of sorts. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think so. I think there's there's some positive things coming out of it, but um, the real problems in the relationship uh, which start with Taiwan 
and uh, you know the ban on uh, the more or less ban the United States put in place on uh, advanced chips being exported to China, those things uh, are not probably going to be touched. So I think you know there'll be some gloss, but the fundamental problems will remain. Why is this? Is do you view this as an important moment for for the president to be able to to come out of these talks with some meaningful, at least? Uh, stepping stones to to some of these important questions, whether it's the ones that you name, certainly Taiwan is is of massive importance. But the relationship now between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping or uh, Vladimir Putin and China and North Korea um, or, or even potentially um, the the efforts of what we're seeing in the Middle East right now. How how do you think they leave some of these topics outside of Taiwan, as you mentioned? Well, uh, yeah, I do think it's important uh, for Biden. You know, there, there's a range of areas uh, there where you could make important progress with China. I mentioned a couple of them, uh, but, uh, you know, fentanyl manufacture in China is a big one uh, where I, it, I think the Chinese are probably ready to at least announce something uh, that will be, uh, you know, at least a positive press release for the White House to say they're cracking down. How much follow through there'll be is another question. Uh, there's always uh, the possibility of some kind of progress, maybe not in the concrete details, but on some sort of process around uh, climate change or even public health. You know, the COVID uh, elephant in the room that I guess we all decided to stop talking about vis-a-vis China. Right. But, uh, so, that, you know, there's, there's different avenues where you could see progress. Um, as I already said, I'm sort of skeptical that there'll be any big uh, breakthroughs, mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, Biden, for various reasons, uh, could use a boost uh, from, you know, some uh, progress, diplomatic progress and the idea that he's solving the world's problems here. What is the current relationship here between these two com- countries, do you think? Well, it's frosty. I mean, you know, there, there's been no contact, uh, I think, for over a year, any direct communications between Biden and Xi. And more importantly to me, uh, you know, there's been, I think it's fair to say, an increase in, in tension uh, in the security realm around uh, the South China Sea and the Philippines, where the Chinese have been uh, threatening the Philippines in a way, at least uh, their uh, shoals and rocks that are both parties claim. And, you know, let's remember that the Philippines is a uh, treaty uh, ally of the United States. Uh, There's obviously been tension around Taiwan with the uh, Pelosi, you know, going there and then the Chinese doing drills to uh, basically menace Taiwan. So um, there were, you know, there's been a large uh, deterioration of the relationship over the last few years so just kind of, you know, minor improvements, uh, I think, could at least reduce tension. Benjamin Friedman with Defense Priorities as the policy director. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time and insight as always. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you got it. I'd love to know where you're at on this, because I think when when these two meet, when they when they meet here in the United States, I, it's important that we that the president come out with some sort of, in my opinion, some substantial either meeting of the minds or or a concession by she, something that he can point to. And, and maybe Benjamin's right. Maybe it comes in the way of fentanyl. 
But there are a lot of big, I mean, really big roadblocks here between the United States and the Chinese. And I think it's very important that the United States come out of this, not from an optics perspective, but from a substance perspective. They come out on top here, and I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the case. Joe Biden says he's the man to do it. We'll see if he is. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. More next. All right, I want to get back to the, the Chinese issue in just a moment. We do have some news on Michigan. And this comes way by Larry Lage with the Associated Press. Connor Stallions, who is the low-level staffer at Michigan, who was... Uh, at the heart of this sign-stealing investigation. And look, it, this this story, if you've been following it, you understand. If you haven't, I don't have the time to break it all down for you. It's, it would take me an hour. But Connor Stallions, who is an analyst staffer at Michigan, is alleged to have been the puppet master of some widespread sign-stealing cabal at the university. And while sign stealing isn't illegal, according to the NCAA, what is illegal is staffers being at games of future opponents to steal signs. So it's the methodology in which you steal those signs. And one of the questions that had been lingering is, does, is there a paper trail? Did the university supply money to a guy who made $55,000 a year to go buy tickets on his own dime transfer them to other people so that they could go to those games. And I have yet to find the rule that would prohibit that, allowing universities to pay for that such travel and tickets. But I, I, I haven't seen that. Maybe it's in the rule book. I just haven't seen it. I've combed it pretty good. But the the question of a paper trail and the possibility of a paper trail was raising a lot of questions for people. Well, now, according to Larry Lage and the Associated Press, the AP filed a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, for Stallion's expense reports while he was employed from May 2022 through November 3rd of 2023, this year, just 12 days ago when he officially resigned. There are no responsive records. According to Patricia Slinger, who's the chief Freedom of Information officer at the school, the NCAA has documented plans and budget information outlining the scouting scheme of Michigan's opponents. This is from Larry Lage's piece in the AP. And the Big Ten has said they have received those materials. The NCAA has also shared evidence with the Big Ten and the university that showed Stallions purchased tickets to games and had people sit in those seats to obtain video of those sideline signals. So now there is no paper trail, at least as of now. Stallions hasn't or didn't file any expenses as it relates to these tickets or or travel for people who were going to these games. But for a guy who made $55,000 a year, the NCAA says there's no connection that Jim Harbaugh knew about this. He's created quite a mess at the university. And at the end of the day, Jim Harbaugh is responsible for his football program. He is responsible for knowing everything that goes on in said football program, right, wrong, or indifferent. Right. I don't know that everything that goes on, you know, anywhere in my life. But as the head of, of, a, of a major college football program, it is their responsibility to know the 
the inner workings and the ins and outs of what's happening in their program. It's 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 institutional control is what it is. And the fact that Jim Harbaugh isn't connected to this is one thing. But the fact that Jim Harbaugh didn't know about this, according to the NCAA, is another. Now, Jim Harbaugh has been suspended by the Big Ten for the last three games of the season. He is able to coach during the week, but he cannot be in the stadium at Maryland on Saturday and in Ann Arbor against Ohio State in the last game of the year. I have maintained that the Big Ten shouldn't have done that. I think the Big Ten, to a certain extent, um, was talked into it by other members inside the Big Ten, other ADs, other coaches that were upset. Presidents certainly were involved. But I, I think there is an effort here that the NCAA is investigating Michigan. In my mind, you let that investigation play out. If there is something that happens retroactively, if the NCAA says, well, we're going to start vacating wins or we're going to start you know, throwing an asterisk up on records or games or a comp, whatever, that's retroactively. Or if you need to spend some, suspend somebody, whatever the punishment is, which we don't know because this is uncharted waters, there's no precedent for it, then you, you institute those, those penalties then. But I have not seen in college football a conference get in the in the middle of an investigation then make a suspension for the investigation to not even be done because if the NCAA comes out and says well there's no penalty which i find to be unlikely but if through their investigation they find that by the letter of the law michigan broke the rules and there should be a penalty well then you institute that penalty but there is still an opportunity i believe that Michigan won't be penalized. And so then what? <laughs> right? So then what? So then the Big Ten suspended somebody when the investigation panned out something different. Those are all speculative. We're just working through the the, the, the situation. But according to Larry Lage at the AP, Connor Stallions did not file any expenses as it related to his purchasing of tickets to other games or future opponents while at the University of Michigan as an employee. Um, in the meantime, Xi Jinping in town. In town. He's, in, he's in the country. They're in San Francisco meeting with President Joe Biden and both of their delegations. Now, these two countries are, they share a very different view of the world in a lot of instances. And when it comes to the theft of intellectual property or the very real cases of human abuses that take place in China, the human rights abuses that take place, or their involvement in Russia, or their involvement in the Middle East, with Iran, there are a lot of questions. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. Fentanyl and semiconductors. I mean, the, the, the list really goes on and on. Oh, and by the way, you've got a potential conflict with China over Taiwan coming. So, so these are very real, real issues that I believe. And look, whether you like Joe Biden or not, 
He's the president. And I think it's important in cases like this that our leaders step up, right? It's very important that Joe Biden and Joe Biden's eyes and the DNC's mind and from the administration and Democrats as a whole, that Joe Biden tried to find some ground to climb upwards instead of downwards in the trajectory that he's in on now. But I think this is a time when it's important that the United States show some leadership. I think it's important that that through these discussions, the fruit that's bared is that that the United States continues to maintain its foothold as as the leader in the world and not to be bullied around by somebody like Xi Jinping. And if if the if the Chinese response to these inquiries by the United States is to poo poo them pun intended, based in, uh, you know, San Francisco, if, if, the, if the response is to poo-poo them, well, then we have a whole other problem here. But these discussions are underway and certainly uh, very important discussions that are being had. we got to take a break. If you want to weigh in, 800-859-0957. Some movement in a very particular case in hockey where one person was killed on the ice and now there's been legal action. That's next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. My friend Steve Courtney joins us. Hello, Stephen. Christopher, what's going on? How we Laddie? doing? Everything is well. Did you see? Did you hear me uh, uh, breaking down this Larry Lage piece in the AP? Did you see that? Yeah, Larry, a fine human being, yeah, no doubt about guy. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so at the end of the day, there wasn't any expense reports filed, right, for this cat that was making fifty-five grand a year as the. Uh, Scouting analyst. Yeah. Um, you know, you would think there would be somewhat of a paper trail because he's going to all these games and you're making 55 G a year, which isn't shabby. Okay. Um, but wouldn't you want to be reimbursed for travel food? Well, he's not traveling. He's buying the tickets and then sending them to other people so that they can go to the games. Right. But aren't they knocking him up? I mean, you'd imagine, look, this is, this is a deranged individual. This is somebody who had a, a 600-page Michigan manifesto on how he was going to take over the program one day. Uh, uh, think about what you just said. A manifesto about how he was going to take over the program. A, pro- a football team, a college football team. I mean, look, it's a strange cat, right? I don't know. I don't know. Is that what he was thinking when he was allegedly on the sideline at Spartan Stadium for Central Michigan? Yeah, I'm wearing sunglasses at night. But when I take over the Michigan program, I won't have to do this anymore. I don't know. I don't even, I don't know what goes through your mind, if that's allegedly him. Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Can you feel the wind coming off of my fingers from my air quotes? Some of the best air quotes I've ever seen in my illustrious career. (laughs) Uh, what do we got going? Well, let's do this thing. We're, uh, well, let's do some is, business. This is very interesting here. Uh, we're business free, my Good. friend. Good. All right. Well, hey, let's talk hockey in the UK. This one's on me. Love it. Uh, yeah. Police in England have made an arrest in connection to the death of Minnesota native Adam Johnson. Uh, you recall, sadly, uh, his throat was slashed by the scathing opposing player during a game between the Nottingham Panthers and Sheffield Steelers uh, in the Elite Ice Hockey League last month. The arrest was just announced yesterday, 17 days after this very unfortunate incident. Now, the assumption is that the arrested individual is Sheffield hockey player Matt Petgrave, whose skate struck Johnson in the neck, 
during that October 28th tilt. Uh, the video, absolutely horrible. Uh, saw Johnson fall to the ice and then attempt to skate to the bench while holding his neck, blood covering the ice as well as Johnson himself. He was later pronounced dead. Uh, by now, our valued listeners have probably seen uh, the video, uh, and it's very difficult to watch in its entirety. Uh, and I'm going to be if honest. If you haven't, I would encourage you don't. Well, I, I, you know, when I got to uh, the radio ranch today, I saw a very clean uh, version of it oh, on, did you? on Fox News with uh, some very enlightening um, conversation with former NHL great Jeremy Roenick. Um, now, Sean Avery, a uh, former NHL enforcer, played a couple of years here with the Wing Wheelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, yeah, the leg came up, um, but it didn't appear to be anything really malicious and... Uh, did Matt Petgrave wake up that fateful morning and say, today's the day I take someone's life? He said no. Well, I urge you to go to Fox News uh, because Jeremy Roenick uh, gives a very insightful commentary. He says, from the time that you begin playing this game of hockey, you are pretty much taught that that skate does not come any higher than the waist. He said it's clear that Petgrave had... uh, other thoughts in mind. He said this was by no means an accident. So for Jeremy Roenick, who played the game Roenick forever. said it wasn't an accident? He said it wasn't an accident, and what they are doing is absolutely right. All right, KB joins us as well. Hello. I, I, um, I, for me, I don't know that it's an accident either, based on the, the way, just based on the way the skate came up. Right. And, and look, I'm not one to pass judgment. It's a horrific video. For whatever reason, it's the same quality as the, 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 the footage that people get of uh, Bigfoot. It's very grainy for 2023 for some reason. Well, again, the stuff I saw today is, is much clearer. And they break it down rather succinctly. And I'll be darned if you look at this and you don't say, you know what, this dude clearly knew that. Uh, Adam Johnson was where he was because Adam Johnson got rid of the puck. He was dumping it into the offensive zone. He was dumping zone. it into the zone, and 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 he kind of got hit and twisted a little, and twisted a little, and so Petgrave comes. Petgrave in, got hit, and when and he, he got going hit and spun down, around, the foot came up. You could make that argument. Yeah. Now uh, he was arrested on suspicion of manslaughter. Please understand, and I don't know what the what the law is in the UK. Uh, but it's been pointed out legally here in the good old United States. If it's manslaughter, you do not have to prove intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there uh, an act of malice? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. And it could be a freak accident, right? It could be you hit a pedestrian. Well, and it's an accident. Petgrave's team. He but there's still he, a consequence there. Petgrave's team, he didn't play uh, Sunday. When they took the ice again, he wasn't there. His picture was shown on the Jumbotron, and more than 8,000 gave him a standing ovation. So in the court of public opinion, there are those in the U.K. that that this was nothing more than an accident. This was hockey. Sure. And, I mean, very rarely, I mean, KB, can you think of an instance where somebody did something on the surface of of a sport on their playing f- surface, and then was charged for <laughs> manslaughter. No. I, I got no, no, I got no nothing to, to pull from. The argument has always been brought forth in boxing 
Uh, there have been some fighters that have lost their lives. Yeah. But for the most part, that's been written off to implied risk. I mean, you're literally yeah. getting punched in the head. But there was that yeah. trainer that was supposedly giving him, I, I can't think of his name now, and he was putting plaster on the tape, and he got charged with, like, a, a felony or whatever, trying, you know, injure box. But I'll tell you one thing. It's going to be hard to prove that. I looked at the tape, too, and it, it looks funny, but can you really prove that? But the one thing is... That guy, man, he's got to live with himself. For the rest Either of his Either way, life. if it was right. accident or not, that you right. know, because of you on a on a ice hockey rink, a man died, and that's a even alone. If you he didn't mean it, that's a that's a tough a thing tough, to live no, with. No, there's man. no doubt. Well, and as you might suspect, uh, various leagues uh, throughout the sport are now examining their player safety measures. Uh, while any mandates at the NHL level certainly would have to be agreed upon by the NHL Players Association. There are some in the National Hockey League that started doing this long before this tragedy, wearing neck guards. You know, I don't know why they don't. Right. At the, at the speed of today's game and the physicality, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of amazed and I'm happy. Yeah, that it that hasn't happened more often. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you, you are literally skating on a thin, very sharp blade of steel. Yeah. You know, years ago, uh, goaltender for the Buffalo Sabres, Clint Malarchuk, uh, he was a goalie, and there was a scrum in the crease area. This is years ago. Uh, he got caught. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, he survived. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's a very fast and uh, very violent game sometimes. Yeah, there's no doubt. What do you guys got coming up today? Well, we're going to talk to one of the people um, that was on that plane that went from Detroit to D.C. for the March for Israel yesterday, and oh, they yeah. got stuck at the airport. Yes. Drivers wouldn't come get them. Right. We're going to talk to him, uh, Rabbi Mark Miller. What happened? Um, the drivers called in sick, and they would not come get them. Mm. They basically said they weren't taking Jewish it was, people to It the was drive. a protest. Oh, yeah, it was a protest. Uh, we're going to talk to them. Uh, we're going to talk about the bad behavior of our congressman yesterday on a separate incident from fighting in the Senate chamber to um, kidney punches. Can you believe that? Idiots. A bunch of idiots, man. What? It, it, this has become the norm here. Can I? Can I? So the the, the dude in the Senate, right? You're talking about yeah, uh, Mark Mullen. Uh, Mark, Mark Wayne. Here's what it reminded me of. Ready? I said, come down here and see what happens if you try to hit me. <laughs> Such an idiot. Let me see what your best move is. <laughs> it's Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> what is what is Classic. happening up up uh, down there in uh, D.C.? I don't know, but they what should start. Going on? They should start taking money from these people when they start. Yeah, right. Up. Yeah, I'm sure that'll make them act better. <laughs> well, so you got to do something. Yeah, you know something's gone wrong if something haywire in the country happens and you're playing sound from Napoleon. Dynamite. <laughs> I haven't seen such bad behavior since the last time I saw a go. morning show. Mitch, I'm coming up next.